following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal. Hey, do me a favor. High five somebody next to you today. Just reach next door. Give them a big high five. Let's get some, uh, get some energy moving in this room. All right, very good, very good. You're just glad to be here today. Hey, a couple of things in your, uh, in your bulletin to make a, a note of. Uh, there's, a, there's this big, uh, overwhelming-looking brochure. Uh, Scott and I are, are taking a trip to uh, Israel next year, and uh, we're planning for it now. So if you're interested in going to that, uh, there is going to be an information meeting uh, coming up. It is, let's see here, when is that, Scott? It's November the 12th. Uh, immediately after the second service. But if you're interested in going, uh, it's not a box on the back of your Connect card, but you literally, down, down the bottom on prayer request or something, just write the word Israel, and uh, we'll know that you're going. Or if that's too hard for you, trip. Okay, there you go. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we'd love to take some people with us. I think we already have about 15 folks that are uh, saying they're interested in going with us. And there's another church, a uh, pastor friend of mine uh, here in town that's kind of partnering with us as well. So we're going to have a blast. Uh, hey, and then uh, November the 19th, I hope you're as excited about this as I am. Uh, we're going to have a one party. Uh, we uh, had our goal this year to uh, uh, have 52 people indicate that they gave their life to Jesus through the ministry of Coastal. Uh, and we reached that goal already. In October, and uh, so we're celebrating on November the 19th, having one service at 9.30, and uh, then we're going to feed you afterwards, but don't miss the service. That really is the party. The party's not afterwards, it's the service, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. You're, you're not going to want to miss anything, so be here, be on time, and be ready to, uh, to rock and roll, because it's going to be great. We're going to have a great, uh, great celebration. Um, you know, next to the story of David and Goliath, the story of David and Bathsheba, is probably the most famous story in David's life. I mean, how would you like that, by the way, to, to be known for you know, the biggest uh, mistake of your life? Um, at this point in our story, uh, David is now about 50 years old. He is already king, okay? Saul has died a terrible death. You ought to read that uh, when you get some time on your own. We're, by the way, we're really just kind of hitting the highlights of David's life. You know, we'd, we'd spend the next year uh, just going through uh, passage after passage, talking about all the details of his life. So we're really just kind of hitting the highlights. So at this point, uh, David has now been king for about 20 years. Um, you know, think about it for a second. What is it about this particular story that is so intriguing? Uh, I think, you know, maybe it's because it really has everything. I mean, it's got lust and sex and intrigue and murder and, and conspiracy. You know, or, or maybe it's just that this once national hero, you know, beloved by all, people singing songs about him, has now made an absolute royal wreck of his life. And just like a wreck, you know, you just can't, can't look away. So what I want us to do today is take a look at this story and, and, and talk about how David got himself into this mess and hopefully learn some principles for avoiding that mess ourselves and uh, overcoming temptation. You know, ultimately what we are talking about today, and I want to be real crystal clear about this, uh, it, it applies to all of us. In fact, uh, today uh, I have a memory verse for you. Uh, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's on the top uh, of your outline. And uh, if you'd be willing to commit this verse to memory this week, uh, there is a box for you to check on the back of your Connect card. So go ahead and pull that Connect card uh, back out. I know a lot of you are already writing Israel down, but pull that Connect card out. And um, there's a box 
there for you to check on my next uh, steps, or excuse um, if you'd be interested in, in, in memorizing this verse. Now, let me explain. For those of you who, you know, check the box, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to email you just a little helpful uh, article uh, this week about memorizing Scripture. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll send you a little text message uh, just a couple of times this week as a reminder with the verse on it. So the first part of the memory verse says this. In fact, let's, let's read this first sentence together, okay? We're going to read this together out loud. Here we go. No temptation has seized you. Man, that was terrible. I, I don't know if I cannot hear you, but like you're supposed to, this is, this is the you participate part. Here we go, let's do it again. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now stop right there. We'll come back to it in, later on. In other words, we all face it, okay? Temptation, you know, and no one, no one in this room, you don't, you don't get old enough where you, you, you stop facing temptation. No one's above it. In fact, the New Living Translation of this verse puts it this way. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. You know, sometimes you come to church and you think, man, I'm the only one. You know, poor pitiful me. I'm, I'm the only one that faces this. I'm the only one that's got to deal with this. And the reality is we're all facing it. Okay, we're all together. We're all in the same boat together. So let's take a look at some of the principles for overcoming temptation, okay? First of all, if you're taking notes, number one, recognize the warning signs. Recognize the warning signs. There are, because we all face it, there are some common warning signs that we all face, and we see this in David's life. You see at least three of them in David's life. David's life. The first one is unaccountable time alone. Unaccountable time alone. Let me, let me explain. Look how the, the story of David and Bathsheba begins in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out, to the, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained where? What's it say? In Jerusalem. Now, why did he stay home? Well, we don't really know for sure, but what we do know is that it wasn't the thing to do. In fact, many years before this incident, back in 1 Samuel 8.20, when the Israelites were just clamoring, begging for a king, a cry, they cried out to, you know, to Samuel for a king. One of the reasons they gave was this. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and, and fight our battles. And so up to this point, David basically had always done that. But not this time. You know, a lot of scholars think there was something else going on in David's life, and, and, and it's generally believed that he was about 50 years old at this time. So he wasn't a young guy, but he's not like, you know, you know he's not the golden boy anymore. He's not, he's not an old man, but he's not who he once was. And, and maybe, you know, maybe he's having a little bit of a midlife crisis. We're, we're not really sure. But whatever the reason, don't miss this. What we do know, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And typically in temptation, that's where the trouble starts. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're somewhere where you shouldn't be. Verse two, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Now in those days, uh, kings built their palaces with these big rooftop terraces, a uh, place where they could go out in the evening and enjoy the cool breeze and, and uh, you know, get away from the demands uh, of being king. And so one evening, David gets up and he walks around the rooftop patio, and the Bible goes on to say, from the roof, 
he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, if the Bible says she's very beautiful, we know that she was drop-dead gorgeous, okay? Now, was this the first time that David had ever been up on that roof in the evening when this woman has taken a bath? We don't know. But what we do know is that David knew the Ten Commandments, okay? You know, he knew thou shalt not commit adultery. He knew thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. You know, he knew the stories of the Bible about, you know, Samson and what happened to him when he got involved in sexual sin, how it destroyed his life. The point is, David knew that what he was thinking was wrong, but rather than turn away, (coughs) he pursued it. But it all started because he was in the wrong place. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing. He wasn't where he should have been. Second warning sign. Unacknowledged compromise. Unacknowledged compromise. Now, if you just read chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel, it kind of looks like, well, you know, this is just a one-night stand between David and Bathsheba. But you really need to step back and get the full context to see that this was a problem in David's life. And it was a problem that had been building for years. It was an area of David's life that he did not acknowledge, that he had compromised in. Now again, we know David was a man, he trusted God, he worshipped him, he saw God accomplish great things through him. Uh, In fact, 2 Samuel 5, 12, it says this, David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He realized that was from God, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. In other words, David knew he had become king, not because of any skill or cleverness of his own. Remember, he's just the runt, the runt of the family. He realized it was because the hand of God was on him. And that everything he had was because the Lord had blessed him. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that in your life? That who you are and what you have is not because of you, but because of God. But there was an area in David's life that he had failed to conform to God's word. It's an area of compromise. And that was in the area of his relationships with the opposite sex. In fact, look what it says in the very next verse. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem. Now, from reading scripture, you know that David had at least eight wives, probably ten or more concubines. So long before David ever laid an eye on Bathsheba, he showed that he wasn't going to follow God's plan to be a one-woman man. This was an area of unacknowledged compromise. It was an area of struggle in David's life. He knew what the Bible said. But the problem is, he preferred to go along with everyone else. He preferred to go along with the customs of his day, the culture, rather than conforming his life to the word of God. What about you? Is there an area of struggle in your life? An area of compromise where you're just going along with the world, going along with the culture, going along with your friends, but you know it's not what God's word said. He's got, he, he basically just added beautiful women that he lusted after to his harem. Now, there's another important lesson here we can learn, and that is, typically, the solution to our sin is never more sin. You know, 
You, you might think that David's passion for women would have been reduced by the fact that he had so many beautiful wives and concubines. Instead of calling Bathsheba, I mean, David could have called in any one of a number of gorgeous women from his harem to satisfy his lust. But listen to me. Feeding sexual passion doesn't cure the problem. Sexual passion is not like hunger. You know, you feed it and the, the hunger goes away. It's like fire. The more you feed it, the more it rages. So the solution is never indulgence. It's learning to obey God. It's learning to conform your way to the ways of God. So again, let me ask you. Is there an area of, of unacknowledged compromise in your life? Third warning sign. An unwillingness to listen to godly advice. You know, when David saw Bathsheba, he sent his servant to find out who she is. And uh, he came back and he said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, what you, what you need to know is that in ancient Israel, when you would ask who someone was, they would always respond by using pretty much the same formula. They would tell you their name, uh, their father's name, their grandfather's name, and if they knew it, their great-grandfather's name. That, that's the way you describe people, by, by uh, referencing their family tree, their genealogy. So here the servant comes back, and initially he kind of follows the formula, but then he definitely departs from it. He says, well, her name is this, this is her father, and by the way, king, she is the wife, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Again, that was not common at all. So why did he say it like that? Well, the reason is he knew exactly what David was thinking. And so in a very polite, respectful way, he's trying to say, King David, she's off limits. She's a married woman. You know, why would you do this, your majesty? This is a bad idea. Man, if you do this, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. So did David listen? Nope. Did he pay attention? No. Was his servant giving him good advice? Absolutely. But David blew it off. Proverbs 12, 15, in fact, says, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise, the wise listen to advice. He ignored the warnings. He ignored what the servant was trying to tell him. Let me ask you something. You've got some godly people in your, in your life that you're surrounded with that can speak the truth and love to you when you're going off the path. You know, that's, that's one of the benefits of being in community with other people and doing life with other people. So what should he have done? Second principle. He should have responded by using God's simple strategy, God's strategy. You know, when the, the Bible says that basically when it comes to temptation, and again, we're all going to face temptation, but you will never encounter one so strong that your only option is to give in to it. So let's go back to our memory verse. Back to that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And then listen to this. And God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. Listen to this part. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, and again, not if, you're going to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Listen, God is faithful. There is always a way out. In fact, I want you to listen to these verses. And uh, I'm just going to read part of them really quickly. But I want you to see if you can detect any similar repetitive theme. Okay, because I really believe this is part of God's simple strategy. Responding to temptation. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14. Flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.11. Flee from greed. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee from the ungodly lust of youth. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Flee from every kind of evil. So let me ask you. Do you see a repetitive theme there? God has a very clear action plan for David when he found himself up on that roof. And it's very simple, and he has the same action plan for you and me today. Run, Forrest, run! Okay, run! Get out of there! Flee! You know, mark this down if you're taking notes today. God's primary strategy for temptation is not to fight, but it's to flee. It's not to fight, it's to flee. You know, when it comes to sexual temptation, the Bible never says, stand and fight. You know, it never says, well, just stay and pray about it. No, it says, run, flee. I mean, David would have never fallen if he had turned away and not taken a second look, and neither will you. How do you overcome temptation? You recognize these warning signs in your life. You know, are, 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 you, are you finding yourself in places you shouldn't be? You know, are you not listening to, to godly people in your life? You respond by using God's strategy. You, you run. You get out of there. And then number three, you realize the cost. Because there is a cost. There is. David gives in to Bathsheba. They spend the night together. Bathsheba goes home the next morning. Initially, you know, maybe David never even gave it another thought. You know, just another one-night stand, one of many maybe in his life, soon to be forgotten, until a few weeks later when everything begins to unravel. Bathsheba sends a short message to David, three words that should be cause for joy. But in this case, they send a chill down his spine. I am pregnant. David then tries to orchestrate an elaborate cover-up. In his mind, he's got to make it look like It's her husband who is responsible. So what does he do? He calls her husband back from the battle. And uh, he begins with a little small talk. Hey, Uriah, how's it going in the battle? Uriah gives him a little report. And uh, then David says something that might seem a little strange unless you understand what he means, okay? In the Bible it says, uh, he said, Uriah, go home and wash your feet. Okay, now that seems a little strange until you understand that in that day, wash your feet was a euphemism for go get busy with your wife, okay? Have sex with Bathsheba. 
And so David says, okay, Uriah, you know, you've been at war for a long time. Why don't you go home and, you know, relax a little bit. Spend the nice evening with your wife. You know, Uriah, wash your feet. So uh, Uriah leaves David's presence. He goes home, but he doesn't do what David counted on. Instead, the Bible says he just sleeps at the entrance to the palace. When David learned what Uriah had done, or more to the point, had not done, he asked him why. And Uriah told him, he said, you know, my buddies are out fighting. My, my men, my band of brothers, they're, they're fighting on the front lines. They're, they're risking their lives, King David. I can't, I can't come here and kick back and relax. So David goes to plan B. He brings Uriah back the next night. He says, hey, Uriah, my man, have a little wine. Have a little more wine. And he gets him drunk, figuring that that'll loosen him, you know, loosen him up for sure. Did it work? Nope. You know, there's an unbelievable irony here, by the way, that this foreigner, Uriah the Hittite, is more faithful to God when he's drunk than David was when he was sober. Now finally, in an act of just evil desperation, David stuffs a note in Uriah's hand with instructions to deliver it to Joab, the commanding officer. And basically the note says this, put Uriah at the front lines, and when the battle gets heavy, I want you to pull back so that he'll get struck down. Now you think about that. David has Uriah deliver his own death sentence. And understand something else here, just how, how terrible this is. If the commanding officer, Joab, is gonna have Uriah killed, he can't just send one man out to the front line, out to the, the worst you know, area of the battle. He's gotta put a whole division of Israelite troops in a place where he knows there's gonna be heavy fighting and, and loss of life. There's gotta be a willingness to sacrifice other innocent soldiers, all to make sure that this one man is killed. That's what David instructed. And Joab does it. He deliberately allows a number of innocent men to be butchered so that Uriah will die. Joab sends a messenger back to David to let him know, hey, mission accomplished, King David. Uriah's dead. And so the strategy of cover-up worked. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife and all the people are none the wiser. Except for one thing, you cannot hide from God. You can't. Listen, I don't care what it is you're involved in. You can fool everyone all the time. But you can never fool God. Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and listen to this, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Galatians 6, 7 in the New Testament puts it this way, don't be misled, don't be fooled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always, always reap what you sow. You can't fool God. 2 Samuel 11 ends with these words. 
But the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. So what can we learn from all that today? Some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure I can learn anything from that. You know, I mean, I feel bad for David, but I don't know any women who take baths on the roof. You know, what, what, what difference does this make to me? Now, before you're quick to dismiss this, let me remind you of something. I want you to remember who, who it was who got into trouble here. I mean, this is David, right? This is the man who, who defeated Goliath. This is the man who refused to lay a hand on God's anointed King Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. This is the man who at this point was undefeated on the battlefield, who dedicated all the spoils of of war that he had taken to, to begin to build the temple of God. This is the man the Bible said ruled over his people with justice and kindness. This is not some amoral, wild eyed, you know, rebel. This is the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. And yet, look at the mess he's in. So what can we learn from it? Several things. Number one, if David can fall, so can we. If David can fall, so can we. I mean, you think about it. Here's David, again, a man who loved God his whole life, a man the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. There's not a character in the Bible who had a more fervent love for God than David did. And yet here in this episode of his life, he is guilty of lust and coveting and deceit and adultery and murder. I mean, how can this happen? You know, I think sometimes, you know, as believers, we like to think, well, you know, walking with God kind of builds up an immunity against sin and temptation so that, you know, 15 or 20 years down the road, you'll almost be invulnerable. That's a lie. Now, Satan would like you to believe that. Because if you're not aware, if you're not aware of your propensity towards sin, if you're not aware of your sinful nature, then you will not be on guard against it. In fact, thinking that you're beyond temptation, you know, when you look at other people who struggle with a particular sin, you think, well, I don't struggle with that. I would never do that. That, my friend, is the first step toward falling yourself. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the passage right before our memory verse this week says this, if you think you are standing strong, in other words, again, if you think you're above something, if you think you're beyond something in a certain area, you better be careful for you too may fall into the same sin. Listen, if David can fall, so can we. A second lesson. Sure, you can choose your sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences. An unexpected pregnancy, the murder of an innocent husband, along with a a number of innocent soldiers. The truth is, if you read the rest of the story, that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the collateral damage that, that, that was created by David's sin. In 2 Samuel Chapter 12, the, Nathan, uh, the prophet Nathan confronts David about his sin. And he basically told him that conflict would never leave his house, and it didn't. David's affair went public. Violence and murder plagued his family from that day forward. Nathan even said this. He said, but you have given the enemies of the Lord 
great opportunity to despise and blaspheme him. In other words, King David, you've provided an opportunity for people to mock God. And listen, that that needs to hit you and me right between the eyes. We need to think about that. We need to remember that. You know, there are consequences for our falling. We all fall, sure, but listen, there are consequences to it. You need to be aware of it. You know, you're trying to reach out to people, you're trying to love people, and, and, and you fall, and people are going to look at you and go, so, so that's a man after God's own heart? You know, if that's what it is, I don't want anything with that kind of God. And you got to own that. You know, through my years as a pastor, I, I've counseled a lot of believers who were choosing to per- pursue a path of sin. And I've, I've heard more people than I can count say things like, well, you know, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but hey, I'm, you know, I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll suffer the consequences. I'll, you know, I'm willing to suffer the consequences. And, and in the moment, you know, they think that sounds like some kind of noble sentiment or something. But what they're failing to consider is the fact that they don't know the consequences. You never can in advance. You can choose your sin. But you don't know the collateral damage. You don't know the innocent lives that are going to be affected. Lesson number three. And I want, to, I want to end with this one. It is never too late to return to God. It's never too late. Sure, David fell. He fell hard. He fell far. But there's nowhere that you can fall that is beyond the reach of God's loving, merciful arms. If, if you'll just humbly turn to him. Faced with the reality of his sin, David finally came clean, he owned up to it, and he basically said, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, ultimately, I really believe that this right here is what truly makes David a man after God's own heart. Not that that David was perfect. He wasn't. He made a lot of mistakes. But he came clean. He humbled himself. He admitted it. Let me ask you. Are you willing to do the same thing? Have you crossed a line? in some area of your life. An area of unacknowledged compromise, an area that that you've had, you know, godly people trying to speak truth to you, but you've not been listening. You know, are you involved in something right now? Are you involved in a relationship right now that you know is wrong? And all these warning signs are going off all around you. And let me ask you, it might be that even now, the consequences of those actions have started to hit you, hit you in the heart, started to overwhelm you. You know, are there innocent people that are being hurt in the wake of your sin? Is it your family? Is it your children? Now, if the answer to any, any of those questions is yes, come home to God today. Return to him today. Listen, why? Why wait any longer? Today could be the day that you stop moving backwards and you you start moving forwards. Listen, stop. Stop scrambling. 
Stop looking for loopholes. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people. It is not going to end any differently for you than it did for David. You have one less day of regret. And listen, God wants you back. God wants you back. Our God is a loving God, an understanding God, a healing, forgiving God. And let me go one step further. Not only does God want you back, listen to me, we want you back. We do, Coastal does, the church. That's what we're here for. You know, we're all just a, you know, we're nothing more than a colossal collection of messed up, jacked up, imperfect, forgiven sinners. Saved by the amazing grace of a loving God. And you can be too. David's prayer of confession and repentance is recorded for us in Psalm 51. And you might need to go home today and read the psalm to yourself, you know, on your own. Just let it sink in. I, I want you to listen to part of these words today, though. Let them be yours. Listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Man, did you hear that? Whiter than snow. A blank slate, a fresh start. Listen, that's exactly what God give, gave to David, and that's what he longs to give to you today. Listen, if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I've blown it so many times, and even though I'm sitting here in this church service, I feel like a complete failure. I feel like I'm handcuffed. I'm handcuffed to you know, yesterday's sin. I'm handcuffed to my past. Listen, you can be set free. Do you hear me? No matter how wicked you think you've been, no matter how bad it is, if, if you will just take one step, if you will turn to the Lord, if you will humble yourself and confess and repent, he will forgive you, he will set you free. If God forgave David, he will certainly forgive you. If God, you know, if a murdering adulterer can find grace, man, there's hope for me, there's hope for you. Let me ask you, how much sin will God forgive? All of it. No sin, no failure is beyond God's grace if we turn to him in repentance with a humble heart. David prayed, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Anybody else want that? And you're like, man, is it, is it really possible for the, the stain of repeated sin to be removed from my life? Is it possible to be washed whiter than snow? When I was a child and 
a young adult. Uh, I grew up in a, a church singing hymns. Remember those hymns? Remember those? One of them had these words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why it's possible. Not because of you, not because of anything you can do, not because you can clean yourself up, but because Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus took a beating, the likes of which you and I can hardly fathom. His blood was spilled. It was poured out for your sin and for mine. That's how you are washed. The blood of Jesus cleanses you, makes you whiter than snow. But you've got to come to him. He's not going to force himself on you. You've got to make that decision. And you can make it here and now. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? You can have all of that today and so much more. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his precious blood. I thank you, God, that no distance is too far to fall away from you if we're just willing to turn around and take that one step. Thank you that you make up all the distance. You run to us. You do everything that is required to take us home. And it's all been done in Jesus. And listen, if you are here today and you've, you've been struggling, there's an area in your life that you, that you know and it's, it's, you feel like it's gotten the best of you. Listen, God is faithful. There is a way out. Flee, run, but run to him. Find your satisfaction in him. Find your joy in him. And today, you can find forgiveness. You can have that today. Pour your heart out to him just like David. There is a savior. He has been provided. His name is Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never come home. You've never come to God for forgiveness for the very first time. You have not yet crossed that line of faith. You can do it right here, right now. What are you waiting on? What's holding you back? Pour out your heart and say, dear Heavenly Father, dear God, I want to come home. I am a sinner. I have blown it. God, you know. I, you know what's going on in my life. You know where I've been, what I've done. Today, God, I confess it. I, I bow the knee before you today. I admit it. And God, I believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to the cross. He died on that cross. He shed his blood for me and for my sin. Nothing, nothing can make me white as snow except for that precious blood of Jesus. And I believe it today. I believe that not only did he go to the cross, but he was laid in a tomb and death and sin and this world and everything that I struggle with, God, it could not contain him. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And today, God, 
as much as I understand, as much as I, as much as I know, I believe that. I put all my faith in him and him alone and what he did for me. And for the rest of my days, God, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become more and more like you see me today, forgiven, brand new, white as snow. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.